WBSM presents Spooky South Ghosts with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. What's going on and what it means to you? This is AM 1420. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin still MIA. He'll be back eventually, I would think. I mean, there is a portion where his job is closed for a few months. So maybe he can join us during that time. But we'll see. No promises. Welcome to the show, where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Uh, again, my name is Tim Weisberg. His name is Matt Moniz. And if you're watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, you can see we also have the lovely Kate in the studio again today. She came by to visit yet again. She didn't. Uh, she didn't bring any drinks for us, though. <laughs> Drinking on the air probably not such a good idea, but sorry, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> I didn't say that. If any station management is listening, I did not say that. All right. Well, we are going to have a fantastic show tonight for you. We actually get to have a full show pretty much tonight because you know the Red Sox got over earlier. I don't know if they won or not, because I wasn't listening. I was preparing for tonight's show. But we have Thomas Fusco joining us again. Now, he was on with us uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, I believe it was a little bit earlier this year. And he was talking about his new book, uh, well, his book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, which you can get from his website, CosmicVeil.com. That's V-E-I-L, CosmicVeil.com. And he presented his new model for the paranormal. He has uh, a new outlook on supernatural mechanics and it's it's not just the supernatural but it's also the natural it's a whole new model of looking at things that he thinks allows for rational explanation of paranormal phenomena and when we had him on uh, earlier i think it was kind of a shortened show due to something or other so we really didn't get into the the real in-depth meat and potatoes of his ideas so we're going to do that tonight and again the website is CosmicVail.com, V-E-I-L, CosmicVail.com. It's linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. If you want to check that out and you can see for yourself uh, some of Tom's work and some of his writings, he has a blog there where he writes about different paranormal events and news and how it relates to his theories. And, uh, of course, he also posts a lot of his uh, conversations that he has uh, with other people in the field. So you can find out, you know, not only what he thinks, but how other people in the field are accepting his theory. So we're, we're going to talk with him about all that uh, tonight. But before we get into that, just want to let everybody know a little bit of news here tonight. Uh, we have our Fearing Tavern event, the Haunted History Night 2012, coming up from Legend Trips. That is October 20th, 2012. And the tickets are $99. There's still some tickets available, but uh, they, they've been picking up lately. I notice as we're getting into the Halloween season, people are starting to make their October plans uh, so tickets are starting to pick up. So if you're thinking about getting them, get them soon. But uh, we were able to secure a special room deal for people that are coming from out of town because, of course, this pod, this show podcasts out worldwide, and we have listeners all over the place. 
and uh, a lot of them want to come here and experience one of these Legend Trips events, but they need a place to stay. So we've secured a great deal at the Days Inn of Middleborough. Uh, their their rooms are normally ninety nine dollars a night plus tax. They're giving them to us for this night for seventy dollars plus tax. That's a good deal. You can't beat that. I might go stay there just to get out of the house for a night. Although I live five minutes from the Fearing Tavern and it's fifteen minutes out to the Days Inn, so yeah. I think my house is going to win out in this regard. My own bed, but uh, it, it, for seventy dollars, if you're coming from far away, you know, if you're driving an hour, an hour and fifteen, hour and a half, more than that, to come to this event, it's worth spending the seventy dollars. Uh, especially since most people are going to be coming from points north and points west. This is kind of already right back on your way. It's uh, right down four ninety five from Wareham, so it's it's definitely the way to go. And and I was there the other day checking the place out. It's phenomenal. There's a McDonald's right next door that's open twenty four hours, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience. It's one of those McDonald's where they have breakfast after midnight. So you can Ooh. go check out, you know, you can go investigate with us. And, of course, we feed you. We give you dinner and we give you snacks all night. So we make sure that you're well taken care of. But, you know, at 2.30 in the morning when you're getting back into Middleborough, you might be a little bit hungry. So you can swing through and get a couple egg McMuffins uh, and then go stay in your hotel room. And then when you wake up in the morning, the Days Inn supplies you with a free continental breakfast. So it's not a bad deal. We're also thinking about maybe putting together a little brunch thing. Uh, in Middleborough, there's a there's a great restaurant that does an awesome brunch, but it's very expensive. So uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to to do that or not, but the option is out there on the table. So legendtrips.com is the website to find out more and to purchase your tickets. Uh, and when you do purchase your tickets, email either me Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or info at legendtrips.com, and uh, we'll get you out the special promotional code to get that room deal at the Days Inn in Middleborough if you are interested. And in the next coming weeks, we're going to work out uh, all the details to purchase psychic readings during spirit medium readings during the event from Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke. So you'll have your chance to actually get a reading uh, during the event if you so choose, and, and it's really affordable. It's $30 for a 20-minute reading. Can't beat that. And uh, it happens during the lecture portion of the night, so you don't have to miss any of the investigation. And then, Stif- uh, Stephanie, <laughs> I'm combining them into one person like all these celebrity couples. They practically are <laughs> these days. But uh, Stephanie and uh, Tiffany. Tiffany will be on hand throughout the investigation to uh, to have any problems. Are we having problems with Spooky TV? Yeah, audio. Why? Click the line, change the audio setting to line in. I might have disconnected when the camera came out. And that should hopefully change things in that broadcast window. But uh, we're going to be taking a break in a few minutes anyway. So if uh, we don't get it worked out before, then we'll do it during the break because we have Thomas Fusco joining us. We also want to let you know again, too, about the uh, Experiencers Speak conference that is coming up September 8th in Gorham, Maine. And it's only $20.12 to see a phenomenal lineup of speakers. Uh, we talked with Audrey Starborn last week about it. And, of course, uh, Matt Moniz, our own Matt Moniz, will be there. Uh, another good friend of the show, Christian White, he'll be there. Yep. We're going to have uh, probably – we'll probably be talking to some people leading up to the event too. But uh, uh, Travis Walton's going to be there. That's a huge draw Debbie for Martin. most people. And, uh, yep, and we're going to have uh, you know Peter Robbins, of course, an yep. old friend of the show. Uh, all these people who have been associated with Spooky South Coast over the years are all going to be there because, you know, it's a who's who of the UFO and abduction field. Uh, of course, you know, we 
We're going to be sending Moniz up there, so we'll get some reports from people up there. We'll have him. We'll have him with a tape recorder up there, getting some stuff, and you know, we'll have. Uh, and we definitely want to have Travis on the show. I've talked with him about it in the past, and uh, he definitely is game for coming on sometime when schedules work out. So uh, we'll we'll definitely be having him on. And what I'll do is I'll sit down with a little uh, recorder, video recorder, and do little video bites that we can upload on Spooky TV for people to come in and check out. And also there's a, a new uh, service out there called Tout. I don't know if you're familiar with Tout, but it's a, it's a new video-based social media service where you can record little 15-second clips and post them up for people to check them out and view. So uh, we're actually going to be starting to Tout soon. Uh, if you just look for my name, Tim Weisberg, on Tout, because I can't figure out how to make a spooky South Coast Tout yet, but hopefully it's coming. But uh, just look for me, Tim Weisberg, and you know, you'll know you see little 15-second touts from the studio and when we're out at different events and from Legend Trips events. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll try and get one done for tonight. So if you haven't downloaded Tout to your phone and signed up already, uh, then do so now during the course of the night. We'll, we'll try and do some touting during Spooky South Coast with what's going on here in the studio. So. If if I remember, remind me. What, Kate, Katie's a social media maven, so she knows. Oh. She's uh, a. <laughs> I'm a maven. Yes, you're you're uh, you're. That's the easiest way to reach you is through social media. It's true. Because uh, you know, regular phones just don't work anymore. Who talks? Yeah, exactly. I don't have time to talk. I just want to tell you what I got to tell you in 140 characters or less, and move on. I do enough talking Saturday nights. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back on the other side, we will be joined by our guest tonight, Thomas Fusco, to talk about his new theory of the paranormal. And uh, we'll get into the specifics about that. Uh, It's going to be quite the discussion, I'm pretty sure, tonight uh, as we delve into all of this and more with Tom Fusco. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Alright, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we have Katie in the studio with us again this week. And uh, we are going to be joining up with our guest right now. I'm really excited to uh, to talk about this stuff again because we didn't we didn't do a good enough job I don't think when we had our guest on previously I think that we we just started to scratch the surface and I think tonight we can get more in depth 
Thomas P. Fusco is an independent researcher who has devoted nearly three decades investigating the relationship between mind, physics, spirituality, parapsychology, scientific anomalies, and paranormal phenomena with the goal of uncovering the unifying cosmological framework that has eluded mankind for generations. And he has been invited to speak as a guest on over 100 national and international radio programs, including this program in the past. And we welcome back Thomas Fusco to Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Thomas. How are you? Oh, great, guys. How's it going? Oh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like it. Thanks. And we, uh, we're very excited to have you back because, as I said, when we had you on before, I, I got some comments from a lot of listeners who said, you know, it was a great topic, a great discussion, but they just felt like we were only starting to get to the beginning uh, of the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. And, of course, you know, the, the clock is always against us on this show. Yeah, and, and, and of course, as you know from before, uh, my work covers such a wide uh, uh, scope of subjects and touches upon so many things that it really is challenging trying to compress it in that time. And, and what's interesting about your work, too, is that you're not coming at this uh, from necessarily a paranormal viewpoint. I mean, this, this is a theory that you've come up with to explain uh, so much more than just what we talk about here on this program. That's true. It, it's an attempt to come up with a new paradigm, an actual new way of looking at the entire realm of reality. And then with that model, uh, then we can say, okay, let's look at uh, astrophysics and see what that tells us about that. And let's look at quantum physics and see what it tells us about that. Let's look at parapsychology. Let's look at the paranormal. And so that was the idea, to get a broad picture of reality that would give us a concept in which all of these varied fields can find a home in. And I think that too many people pigeonhole the paranormal. You know, they, they kind of go with what has been the tried and true uh, theories over the years. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of locked into the idea of ghosts being dead people, for example. And that may not necessarily be the case. So what's interesting about your work is that it, it not only allows you to open your mind a little bit more to some other possibilities, it, it kind of forces you to. Yeah, and traditionally, uh, you know, in all fairness, we have a, a situation where we have kind of almost been uh, held back in the paranormal by primarily talking about what I call the perpetrator, or, you know, the, uh, uh, the person or the being or the intelligence or whatever that might be initiating these things. And uh, we haven't had a real good model before of what I call paranor uh, paranormal mechanics or what we might call the forensics of paranormal events. And so once we get a good working model of that, then we can open up and get a little bit away from the criminology, so to speak, and deal more with the forensics of it. And that seems to be uh, where a lot of the controversy rises up is, you know, there, there is this, as, as, you know, as you're calling him the perpetrator, but there is this uh, greater consciousness behind everything here. And so many people who are willing to accept it, we'll, we'll call it just for the sake of this one little portion of our argument tonight, God's will. You know, that's how people look at it. And they explain things as God's will. And they look at the investigation of the paranormal as going against God's will, uh, that we're not meant to understand that. And I, I'm assuming that your, your theory does not suggest that, uh, you know, learning about this topic is taboo. 
my way of looking at it is this, and again, I'm trying to stay on the forensics or kind mm-hmm. of physics of it. And the way I look at it is this, is that uh, everything that is physical, uh, a physical observation, for example, uh, a physical effect that actually interacts with its environment. For example, when we're dealing with paranormal phenomena, these things are observable, which means the effects that they're creating are physical. If that's the case, then they have to be uh, operating according to the laws and principles by which the greater universe is assembled. They may be aspects of laws and principles that we haven't really understood or discovered yet, but they can't be operating in a way that's contrary to or outside of the order in which the universe is put together. Now, if there's a creator that created that universe, that creator created that same order. And so these things are occurring according to the same order. If we were speaking about a morality to it, I think that's a different issue than the physics of it. Well, and I I like being able to separate it and and to speak about it forensically. And let's just make it clear to people throughout the course of the discussion tonight that that's what we're doing. Because we always get emails and, you know, calls into the station about uh, sometimes when we we talk about the deeper meaning of some of these that uh, we're not really understanding. And and we want people to understand that, you know, we're looking at this from a scientific point of view. And I got to be honest with you, Tom, uh, in the last few months, uh, we've been calling out a lot of these so-called uh, scientific investigative groups, uh, people who investigate the paranormal and feel that they're doing it through uh, a clearly scientific lens. I- I'm guessing that from what you know about today's quote-unquote paranormal field, that they're not quite getting it. Uh, you know, They're not quite investigating it in as scientifically a method as they can. Well, I would say that, uh, you know, I would agree very much with you, but I also would temper that, again, with an understanding, uh, with a balance, that it is almost impossible uh, to construct good scientific experiments unless you are testing a theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the theory itself that drives the construction of the uh, experiment, and the purpose of the experiment. So while people are trying to uh, measure things with scientifically designed instruments, uh, without a good theoretical model, number one, and number two, without a good enough understanding of science in order to actually be able to produce and to set up a controlled, scientifically relevant laboratory environment on a remote site. Without those two things, uh, unfortunately, it comes, effectively, it may not be much better at times than a tourist running around the countryside with a high-tech video camera. Now, Tom, as a scientist, I I wrote a little uh, article about this, and I call it the four P's. You have to plan. In other words, you create a theory and write a protocol. Then you practice your protocol. You run simulations. Then you actually perform your experimentation. And then the last P is a peer review. You publish and put out what you found and allow other people to review it. That is the appropriate scientific method, correct? I would say that's a very good way of putting it, Moniz. Uh, 
but again, uh, I, I try to be accommodating and understanding by acknowledging the fact that we haven't really had a good model of paranormal phenomenon for people to follow and say, well, if this is the theoretical model, then we should be able to find these particular types of uh, uh, findings if we set up these particular kinds of experiments. And uh, that's one of the things that, that people have been saying that my work is finally beginning to provide to that field. Right, because the models that we're using uh, in, say, for example, in the investigation of ghosts, you know, we're using a model of, that, that's built more in folklore than it is in science. And with UFOs, we're building something that's built more in uh, probably uh, urban mythology and ur- urban folklore and urban legend more than we are in, in any kind of scientific model. Yeah, we're, there's an overemphasis on what, again, what I call the perpetrator. Uh, because we don't have anything uh, concrete in between. I kind of liken it to a commercial I saw a few years ago. I think it was for selling a particular car. It showed a driver driving down the street. Of course, he's moving down the street, but it showed the car being invisible. All you could see is the driver in a seated position. You could tell the driver was in a car with his hands on the steering wheel, but the car was completely invisible. So when you don't have any vision of the mechanism, everything gets blamed on the driver. So the driver is what's moving everything down the street. The driver moved the lamp. The driver did this. The driver made the cold spot. Because you don't have a a vision of any mechanism in between where the process actually takes place. So I try to keep a balanced view of it, but at the same time give people a good idea of what's actually missing and where we need to go. So uh, how did you come up with your model then? I mean, uh, obviously you've been uh, researching this for, for quite a long time, but how did you go beyond then what we have come to commonly accept as, as the culprits behind this all? Well, I had a certain image in my mind as to uh, what how the universe might be put together to allow all these things to occur. But I also understood that I had to come up with something that was far more concrete than just a a mental image. So in thinking about quite a few things, actually, uh, it occurred to me that the first thing we needed to do is to come up with a a paradigm, uh, the best possible way that we could come up with at looking at the universe. And the way I look at it is, if you could imagine discovering the Great Pyramid of Giza, and uh, we happen to discover it, it's completely disassembled. All the blocks are spread out all over the plains of Giza. And furthermore, we don't have another pyramid in the world to compare it to, so that we know exactly what it looks like. This is kind of what it's like trying to pick apart reality. Now, every stone that's laying out there if we stand upon that stone and look out upon the rest of the building blocks of reality, so to speak, each one of those uh, positions gives us a unique and different perspective on reality. Um, What my challenge was is to find the one stone, the one perspective to look from, that seems to make all the other blocks fall together. And, of course, in the pyramids uh, instance, that stone would be the capstone. It would be the very top stone that was actually shaped like the entire pyramid. 
And once you found that stone, all the other ones would naturally fall beneath it. And so for me, that brings me to my definition of the universe, the primary paradigm from which to look at reality, to say that the universe is an expression of materialized and materializing information. Now, once we get that concept, we can begin to understand the uncertainties of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. We can begin to understand things like paranormal phenomena, because essentially what we're looking at is a collection or uh, instances of materializing information. We can look at parapsychology and understand that things like remote viewing is actually the materialization of information within the arena of the human brain. And now suddenly the barriers begin to fall down, and we begin to see a very strong link between everything in reality, not just paranormal, but normal objects and, and, and structures as well. It sounds kind of like we're dealing you know, with the matrix, where everything is kind of you know, ones and zeros, uh, and it's all being kind of downloaded into the form that we perceive it as. In a sense, yes. Uh, I don't know whether we can, uh, I, you know, there are areas where there is similarity between the information of our reality and uh, computer uh, binary code. There are some similarities, but we've not really found a one-to-one direct relationship. The, I think a better way of looking at it is to pull towards more of the uh, mainstream scientific view in that we understand today that everything is assembled from information, so much so that uh, modern physics has created an extension to the old conservation laws, which we were all taught in school. Matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Um, In modern physics, we have an extension of that law, which is called quantum unitarity. And what that means is that the information from which matter and energy is assembled also can neither be created nor destroyed. The main difference with my work is to identify that principle of information as the capstone, not one of the lower blocks, but that's actually the top block. And and that's probably a little bit more accurate of a way of looking at it and thinking about the binary code of computers. But it's a good metaphor. Well, so then if this information is out there, then we should be able to, to access it. I mean, if our brains are just computers for this information, uh, you, you know, are, is the universe the entire mainframe that we can access all the data points from? Well, here's the thing. The universe uh, being a collection of materialized and materializing information leads us to two other questions. You know, these are the blocks directly under the capstone. And uh, one of those uh, uh, questions is, what is the source of this information? Which, as you know, is part of an age-old question that we still haven't really cracked the answer to. Where did universal order come from? Mm -hmm. We still don't know the answer to that. Um, And even that gets today, even with scientists, to get almost religious and philosophical, where you have the one religion that says there must be a prime cause, like Newton or Aristotle believed. And then you have another side, which is very atheistic, that says the cause is actually contained within the effect. Uh, You know... But the other question, 
other than where this information comes from, is to describe the mechanism as to how this information materializes. And since we have materialization of information all around us, you know, not only the objects near us, but stars, planets, galaxies, that mechanism to materialize that information must be part of some observations that we have had for a long time, but have been misinterpreting them. Hmm. Well, how so? Well, for example, one of the uh, examples I, I give in my book is I ask people to set aside their conventional thinking for a moment, uh, and let's consider an idea, uh, let's talk about imagining being a primitive man or a woman 50,000 years ago. We're modern people. We have modern brains, uh, homo sapiens, but we don't have any knowledge of anything that we would call science. We don't understand that at all. All we know is what we've observed from our natural surroundings and uh, what we can learn from them. And, you know, imagine walking out into an open field like you've done many times before and you feel the wind blow on your face. But this time a question enters your mind. Is the wind being pushed along or pulled along? You know, does the wind blow or does it suck? Um, everything that we would know about the wind locally would be the same for either. We can't really tell. But now we make assumptions based on conventional thinking our own personal paradigms and experiences. We can blow it, you know, we can build up air in our lungs and blow it out of our mouths, and it feels like we're making a wind. We can push our hand through the air and make a sort of a wind. So everything conventional in our minds tells us the wind blows. But the scientific truth of it is, is that the wind is primarily a function of the movement of air molecules, a volume, from an area of high pressure to an adjacent area of low pressure. Now, you know, scientifically speaking, it's more correct to say that, that vacuums draw volumes into themselves. It's incorrect to say that volumes push themselves into vacuums. So the predominant function of the wind is one of pulling. The wind actually sucks. All of our conventional thinking and our conventional assumptions are completely wrong. Now, what if we applied that to gravity? What if gravity really wasn't an attractive force? What if the reason why every time we try to reckon with what the substance of gravity is, not what they taught you in school, folks, they, they told you they were talking, teaching you about gravity, but they were actually teaching you about gravitational effect. They could not be teaching you about gravity because nobody really knows what gravity is. Substantially, they don't know what it is. What if we're looking at it at the wrong way? What if Maxwell was wrong in his conclusion that since gravity appeared to work like electromagnetic attraction, that it must be a similar force? What if it works the opposite way? What if it is a force that pushes down, that focuses inwards towards objects and tends to grab smaller objects in its quote-unquote wind? and pushes them down onto the larger object. Uh, something like the lint that collects at the end of your vent, you know, for your dryer, that the wind's blowing all these particles and pushing it up against the screen on, on the lint screen as if it was the surface of the earth. 
everything that we would know about gravity locally would be identical. We could still work our calculations to launch satellites out into space and around the gravity wells and planets and, you know, use the moon and whatever for a slingshot. It would all work the, way, the same way. But the conclusion we could draw about the actual way the universe is put together would be very different, and it would explain why we always fail when we try to apply our conventional reasoning to gravity, why we can't reconcile quantum physics with relativity because of gravity, why Einstein couldn't figure out how to, he never concluded how to express gravity in four dimensions, why the standard model of the universe, capital S, capital M, has no expression for gravity. This would start beginning to make sense and explain, well, this is why we can't find these things, because we're looking at gravity in the wrong way. It sounds like we're looking at pretty much everything the wrong way, that there there needs to be a, kind of a across-the-board re-examination of, of what we believe. And, you know, this would provide a very simple answer, which, as you know, anyone who has studied Einstein's writings extensively uh, knows that Einstein was, a very, was very supportive of the idea of simplicity. Um, he would call theories like what we call string theory today he would say they violate what his principle was of unnecessary complexity. He said a good physical theory is something that a schoolchild should be able to understand. And so talking about gravity in this way and beginning to look at the bends of space that are associated with gravity uh, in this way begins to give us a simple way to start connecting all kinds of things together. Well, we are, we're about five minutes away from having to take a break for the network news. And, of course, in, in the second hour of the show uh we can get even more in depth in some of these things but uh the phone lines will be open as well if anybody wants to call in and ask any questions of our guest thomas fusco the numbers are 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420 you can also email us spooky crew at spooky com, or you can jump into the chat room on spooky tv at spooky com. And I think uh, as we're heading into the uh, break here, we want to let everybody know that you can go to Tom's website, uh, CosmicVeil.com. That's CosmicVeil.com. And that's where you can find out more about Thomas Fusco, his work, uh, and about the book Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural. And you can purchase a copy of the book yourself uh, right there from his website. How much is the book, Tom? Well, we have a sale going right now uh, from our distributor's site uh, that uh, you can pick it up for like nineteen ninety five. It's going for about $25 on uh, uh, Barnes & Noble and uh, Amazon because it's a pretty fat book. It is. But, uh, if you order it directly through our distributor, you get a discount. Use that promotion code that's on the page. And uh, if you're still, uh, you know, if you're not in a fetal position after you're done, you'll be able to call in on the second hour. And I, I got to tell you too, it's uh, it's even at twenty five dollars. I mean, you're getting value in this book because of the number of uh, questions that you address in the book, and we'll get into a lot of that uh, coming up in the second hour. But you must be hearing back from a lot of people now in the time since the book has come out uh, of people saying to you, you know, I, I have pretty much thrown out my way, my previous way of thinking, and and I've adopted this model. I've I've had a lot of people uh, uh, tell me um, how remarkable this was and how it's actually changing the way that they're looking at reality. Uh, so, yes, it's been working very well. And 
I spent a lot of time writing the book so that it was very systematic and very simple. Trust me, you don't need a college degree to understand it. I spent a lot of time making it easy to access. And what's interesting about it is as you're reading it, there's going to be a lot of things that you say, wow, gee, I never thought of it like that before. And then there's going to be a lot of things where you look at it and say, no, no, I can't believe that. Tom Fusco, you're trying to drive me crazy here with this theory. And that's that's what makes it uh, such a great work is that it does inspire that type of of uh, reaction to the questioning of fundamental beliefs. Yeah, and, and the great thing about it, too, uh, which I'm very happy about, and we're going to get into that, I'm sure, in the second hour, is that what I've laid out is different than what people have seen before. It's not philosophical uh, in its fundamental core. It, it, it's not a metaphysics. Uh, it's actually a scientific theory in that it makes specific predictions about aspects of reality that are experimentally testable. That's something that's never come before. Well, and that's something that I'm sure Moniz will have some uh, thoughts and opinions on as well. So uh, we are going to take a break now for the news, as I said. Uh, remember, during the break, you can just go to CosmicVail.com, CosmicVeil.com to find out more about the book Behind the Cosmic Veil and to order your copy as well. Uh, get it there while it's uh, on the special deal. When we come back in the second hour, we will talk more with our guest, Thomas Fusco. We'll also take your calls. Again, the numbers will be 508 996 1-877-996-1420 is the toll-free line. Email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com and uh, jump into the chat room as well on SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Also, during the break, you can go to our website and find out more about our upcoming Legend Trips event October 20th at the Fearing Tavern in Wareham, Mass. It's Haunted History Night 2012. Uh, you'll get hours of investigation, dinner, Q&A, lectures, and a live taping of the 30-odd minutes television program. It's not to be missed. $99 for the tickets and a special room deal at the Days Inn in Middleborough if you're interested for just $70 plus tax. You can't beat that. And you don't even have to make the bed when you're done. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back coming up with more after the news uh, here on Spooky South Coast. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costum. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We've got Kate in studio as well. She's just going to be our new, uh, like, in-studio mascot. mascot. Yeah. <laughs> you get to be what we call on Spooky TV the eye candy. Because awesome. when they see us, they just want to poke out their eyes. <laughs> so you can be the saving grace. Awesome. All right. Hopefully during the break, you got a chance to go to CosmicVail.com, V-E-I-L, CosmicVail.com, and check out... Uh, our guest tonight, Thomas Fusco, uh, we'll be getting right back into the conversation in just a second. But I did, uh, during the break there, I did try and tout our first ever tout on tout. See, it's it's kind of weird. Like, at least with, with Twitter, 
You know, you get to say tweet and tweeting, tweeted, twatted, whatever you want to say. But uh, <laughs> whatever, however they put it. But on you know on uh, on tout, it's like I touted a tout on tout. Kind of doesn't work, but it's there anyway. It's uploading. <laughs> it's uploading right now uh, on tout. So if you have the the app on your phone, then check it out. Uh, just look for myself, Tim Weisberg, W E I S B E R G. Uh, and you'll find it on there. I guess we're going to have to put it up uh, on on the website if I start doing it. We'll have a little link to what my tout page is, but uh, I'm not totally sure that we're going to stick with it because <laughs> 15 seconds was just not enough time for us to talk about today's tonight's guest uh, in there, which we tried to do. So let's get right back into the discussion with our guest Tom Fusco. And and Tom, I was. I was thinking during the break about uh, what we were talking about, about how you said that uh, your theory, your, your model that you're putting out there is not based in, in philosophy, uh, but is instead based in science. I mean, there is a lot of philosophical crossing over with a lot of today's advanced science. I mean, and some of it is it's hard to find where those lines are between the science, the spiritual and the supernatural. It seems like so many of those lines are getting blurred, even though, you know, the quote unquote scientists don't want to admit as much. Well, again, what our, what our challenge is, is to come up with paradigms, with ways of looking at things that reveal the underlying causes. And sometimes scientific advancement is made just by, uh, stumbling upon these paradigms. One of these examples that, that I use for this is to talk about uh, how many years or even centuries that we puzzled over phenomena like uh, earthquakes and volcanoes and even mountain formation. And we were able to discern certain things about them, but there was a lot of mystery still involved uh, in them until someone came up with the paradigm that we call today plate tectonics and continental drift. Once we understood that paradigm, suddenly all of our data, all of our observations came together, the veil was lifted, we could understand everything, you know, many things about volcanoes, earthquakes, how they're related, how the mountains were formed, uh, to a degree, once again, that it today even a school child could understand it easily because we've come up with that paradigm. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've tried to do, to come up with these, you know, these new ways of looking at existing data, existing information, not speculative, but hard evidence that we already have, and to come up with a model where that evidence actually fits in and begins to make sense so we can see the underlying interrelationship. I, let's kind of break it down as simply as we can for some of the people uh, that are listening tonight, because I do find that there are a lot of people who are getting into this field uh, who are just kind of starting out and just beginning to understand the physics as we currently believe in them uh, and how they relate to something such as ghosts, for example. So our theory is that a ghost is maybe the soul of a deceased person or maybe the transference of the energy of a person when they die. Uh, but under your model, I mean, how would we kind of be looking at the, the very concept of a ghost? Well, you know, what we would be looking at is more along the lines of information. Now, if we take a normal living human being, we take a look at 
everything that they're comprised of, uh, the physical body, the brain, uh, the, uh, you know, the mental uh, uh, capacity of it, uh, all the different types of facts and capabilities, what we are really looking at is a highly complex collection of information. The intelligence that we have by itself is a very specific kind of coherent, active, living information. Now, when we start looking at it that way, if we were to think of a disembodied intelligence, all we would be doing is essentially subtracting the materialized information of the body. That's the material part of it. But we would still have a coherent collection of information that would represent that intelligence. And so when we look at it this way, the idea of a ghost, quote-unquote, or what we should more say is a, um, you know, a disembodied intelligence, mm -hmm. because a ghost is actually a physically observable manifestation of that intelligence or that information. When we start looking at it that way, it begins to bring these kinds of traditional philosophical, metaphysical, and religious ideas into the realm of scientific reason. Sure, because that information that you're speaking of is what religions believe to be the soul, what philosophers might believe to be our essence and our, our, our consciousness. Uh, so, so basically then, uh, I guess we could say that a, a ghost is just a transformation of that information, or is it just that information separating from uh, the information of the body? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if, you, if, if there's a transformation involved in, in what you're saying, or if it's just, just that disconnect, just that split from the physical information. Well, to me, I'm, I'm interpreting the word ghost as an older term that today we use uh, visible apparition for. Mm -hmm. Ghost is an old traditional term. Let, let's take a look at it in a little well, bit. Hold on, because hold on, I don't think that we need to actually, um, we don't need to differentiate in terms of the ghost, because if what you're saying is that it is just that, it, I think what you're saying would apply to all types of ghostly phenomena, not just that physical manifestation of, of a spirit or a specter, but uh, the way that we interact with ghosts through spirit communication, uh, the EVPs that we capture, uh, the, the knocks on the wall that we hear. I mean, to me, what you're saying sounds like it would make sense across the board. Yeah, and it does. And we're, we're really talking a little bit right now about differences in terminology. Mm -hmm. I admit that in my book and in my work, I have tried to get a bit more precise about terminology than what has traditionally been uh, done, again, because of the lack of, of a good scientific framework. Uh, so for me, a ghost is something that is visible. That would be traditionally the way of looking at it. Um, whereas an intelligence that might be connected to that ghost, I myself wouldn't call that a ghost. Do, do you see what I mean? Sure, no, I, I see what you mean. So we're really dealing about semantics. But as far as the information point of view, let's take a occurrence that has been observed from time to time Let's say we have sites that are apparently haunted where occupants of that particular house or visitors to that particular building uh, see a particular apparition. And this apparition is clear enough 
where we have recognizable features, where it actually looks like a person that you could distinguish them or pick them out of a lineup, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then some investigator starts doing some historical digging and finds a 75-year-old photograph of someone who dwelled in that house and starts showing it to all the people who saw the apparition. And they say, oh, my gosh, that's the guy. That's the person I saw. That's him. Well, if, again, if we take it and look at it scientifically, that photograph is a recording of a collection of information. We know that now. It's common knowledge in the computer age when we print pictures from our hard drives. We're accustomed to looking at it that way. Um, so if someone sees an apparition that is virtually identical in appearance to this photo, then the information that is recorded in that photo is the same information that's materializing in front of us when we see an apparition. Okay. This, is, this helps clear our minds of many different confusions that we get when we start thinking about the supernatural. And this paradigm about materializing information begins to crystallize things and allows us to begin to understand them and dissect them logically. Well, Moniz, let me ask you, you're a scientist and you've been investigating the paranormal for um, pretty much longer than most of our audience has been alive. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what do you... I just like to pick on Moniz. Is that but, good or bad, right? Yeah, we, we just we just pick on him, Tom. So feel free to, to join in on the fun. But uh, Moniz, I mean, what what's from what Tom's saying here? I mean, how does this apply to, to your work and your research? It's pretty much no different. I mean, you come up with a theory, you find various ways to test it. You you look at it from the the different viewpoints other people have is is it a passed on spirit if it's passed on spirit as most people think it is people are just energy and energy can be measured and in this case we're just kind of substituting information for energy information information and energy aren't all of that different Uh, all all energy is is uh, bits of information and and different vibrations i mean there's different ways to measure it to, to me tom it seems like you've you've found the answer to the question that I've always had, and that some investigators have posed as well, of we understand that this energy is left over, and we can almost buy into the idea of what we call a residual haunting. The idea that you know this energy imprint is left behind. What always makes us scratch our head is what we call the intelligent haunting, which is where it's more than just the ghost walking down the same staircase every day at the same time, and it can actually interact and have intelligence with you. You've You've basically decided that the information is also carried through uh, in that energy. So I'm sorry, Moniz, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, I was going to say, well, I have the perfect opportunity coming up in a case in, in a in a month or so. I've got a chance to check out a house that's become haunted. And what makes this really special in a certain sense is I know the people that it's haunted by now. It, it It's from basically where I grew up. A mother and a father and a child all died in the house, and the current resident is experiencing, quote-unquote, a haunting. And I I knew the family. So here's a chance for me to, you know, go check something out. Is this the people I knew? And it sounds like, Tom, you would, you would say that it would be because it's the same information. Well, certainly. 
certainly what, what, what Moniz, what puts you in a very advantageous position, like you're saying, is that you have an uncommon knowledge of the informational database Correct. would be representative of these people. So you would be able to identify a lot of details and a lot of uh, little snippets of information that the average person would not be able to pick up on. Right. Your average ghost hunting group coming in from East Kokomo where, or wherever wouldn't know these people, whereas in, I grew up with them. Yes, it's a very unique opportunity. But uh, to, to go back to the question about uh, uh, energy, so to speak, now this is something where I throw most paranormal investigators a curveball. And this has to do with this energy concept. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, what I believe, and what I believe the evidence shows, is that this information from which reality is derived does not necessarily originate in the physical universe. This information actually originates from above the physical universe. It is still part of reality, the grand scheme of things, but it resides in and originates from a superphysical set of physical reality. Uh, some people might try to think of it as a fifth dimension or a higher dimension, although that's not 100% accurate. It kind of gives the right mental impression. Um, this information has gone by many different names throughout history. Plato called it forms. Um, the Bible uh, calls it the logos, which is a Greek word that means matrix, mind, thought, pattern, order. There really isn't any you know, English equivalent to mm -hmm. it. Um, in the 20th century, we have uh, a very prominent physicist, David Bohm, calling it implicate order. And he said that implicate order gave rise to the physical universe of explicate order. But the implicate order itself was not physical. It gave rise to the physical. And, of course, uh, we look at things like, uh, like Ed Edgar Cayce called it the Akasha. He said this was this body of information where not only he could draw from what someone's illness was a thousand miles away, but he could also draw from that collection of information a cure. The information for the cure did not exist in the physical body. It existed in, an, in a higher realm uh, that included the information of the physical body. So if this is the case, which is what I believe all the evidence points to, we have a problem with this idea of energy, and that is that energy is physical. Energy is, uh, you know, energy manifests itself physically as a particle that propagates as a wave. These are physical. All energy is conveyed by waves. Waves all have frequency and they have amplitude. These are dimensional. The frequency is the tem temporal dimension and the amplitude is the spatial dimensions of Einstein's space-time. Um, the information is stored independently from that. So, to me, the information is super physical, what I call super geometric, which is super dimensional. And therefore, saying a term like spirit energy, in my model, is a conflict in terms. It's an oxymoron. 
it's it's like saying honest politician. <laughs> you know, spirit energy. The interesting thing, guys, is according to my model, these measurements of energy and the conveyance of information uh, physically in this energy is a result of the interaction between the environment in which these pieces of information materialize and their surrounding physical content. So in other words, it's the interaction between the emerging of materializing information and the surrounding physical content like atmosphere that actually creates the energy that we measure and see. The spirit is not stored as energy itself. It's just the materialization of these spiritual elements interacting with its physical surroundings is what creates these measurable energies. See, I think this might work for a lot of the critics and skeptics of today's paranormal investigators uh, because we're going into these locations making assumptions. We're making assumptions that the energy of the spirit can be recorded, that it can have an effect on, uh, say, the electromagnetic field. You know, we're seeing these EMF fluctuations and we're automatically assuming that that is in relation to the presence of the spirit when there really is no proof of that. And it, it seems like with, with your model, it, it can almost kind of be a little bit more of a logical step into why that can happen. Yeah, in other words, again, we go back to that. You're exactly right. We go back to that commercial that I was talking about where all we can see is the person floating down the street in a seated driving position and automatically assume that the measurable energy is sourced, being sourced from what we can see when the reality is is that if we understood what the invisible car looked like, we could understand that the engine is generating its own electromagnetic field. And when the driver that we actually see, the ghost, if you will, presses on the gas pedal, the level of electromagnetism rises, even though the, the driver himself is not creating the electromagnetic field. Well, the, I, I guess for the, the critical aspect of this, I always have a problem with those who uh, make leaps in logic. That, that's where it kind of irks me. And we have so many people that are in this field that don't quite understand the science of what they're talking about to begin with, and they're already making these huge leaps in logic. And it, this can fill in the holes in, in that regard. I mean, this can be uh, the missing link of explaining why the paranormal can exist scientifically. Yes, this is the, the breakthrough of this work. And one of my challenges in talking about this work on many uh, different radio shows is not so much to have people understand the mechanics of what I'm talking about. What's difficult to convey to them is the enormous implications of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to envision because it's just so far beyond uh, the current state of the art. Uh, let me give you one example and see if we can uh, uh, lead into this a little bit and uh, talk actually a bit about the meat and potatoes of this. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
one of the things that all physical content in the universe, this is what Einstein called it, he had, we had space and we had physical content within that space. All of the physical content in the universe, according to Einstein's model, shares one characteristic, no matter what form that physical content takes, and that is that space and time is curved around it. Space and time bends around the physical content in the universe, or what Einstein called a matter point, within the continuous field of space. Um, now, if a curvature of space-time is common to all materialized reality, and if what I am saying is correct, that the universe is an expression of materialized information, then everywhere we see materialized and materializing information, we should see a bending of space-time. And guys, if there's a bending of space-time in association with materializing information, this is something that's experimentally measurable, it is testable, and it would have predictable manifestations, predictable observations. So this is where I begin to uh, talk about how this relates to a paranormal haunting. Well, it seems like with the, the bending of the space-time, I mean, what would be the effect of that that would be measurable to, to well, those who, who don't, who don't uh, follow these theories? This is where we, we, get, we get into the good stuff. Imagine an a area of space within a haunted house that begins to expand, let's say like a bubble, it swells. It, it's like what I uh, liken it to, imagine an old inner tube, an old rubber inner tube in a tire. It's got a weak spot. If you fill it with air, a bubble starts coming out in one spot of it. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. And imagine that happening in a haunted house, not in the vacuum of space uh, or, or of the cosmos, well, in a haunted house, we have physical content everywhere. In fact, the most common physical content, content we're going to have is air, atmosphere, gas, air molecules. So imagine a bubble like this expanding. Uh, these are the kinds of things that we would see. The first thing we would see, and Einstein demonstrated it to us, is that the region of space that was immediately surrounding this bend would become crushed, it would become compressed and twisted. Now, in the vacuum of the cosmos, that's no big deal. But in a haunted house, we have air molecules there in that twisted space. So what would happen? Uh, what would happen is that, that those uh, atoms, the gas, the atoms in the gas will get excited. They're under mechanical pressure. And... They Plasma. will begin to excite the electrons inside of those atoms. Plasma. Uh, that could be one of the results of it. Um, but uh, what I'm talking about is even if we stay in the third state of matter, let's argue, for example, that we're speaking of just gas, you know, because uh, we have, you guys know, we have uh, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma, the four states of matter. Mm -hmm. Let's say if we just stay with gas, we would still be exciting electrons, these electrons would jump up into their higher orbits, and one of the first things that this model would predict is we would detect electromagnetic fields 
literally coming out of thin air, literally out of the air, because that's exactly where they're originating from. This is the idea where I'm saying that I don't believe there's any such thing as spirit energy. I believe that the mechanisms that materialize this extra physical information in our local space, interfacing with the physical content surrounding it, is what causes the energetic measurements. Okay. So it's not the spirit itself that's the energy that we're measuring. It's the, it's the it's reaction a, of, okay, it's an after. So, that, I mean, I think that does make a lot more sense than um, the theory that the manifestation itself is manipulating it. You know what I mean? And instead of it being the, the entity that's causing the spike, it's the... The effect. It's, it's the down, Yeah. It's, in other words, there's more to it than just the direct, oh, the spirit you know, drains my batteries. The spirit drained energy to create a cold spot. There's a mechanism in between. And one thing I do uh, ask people to think about, if they cling to this idea that spirits are released and maintained as physical energy, uh, most of those people also believe that the spirit of a person persists eternally. Well, if that's the case, and if it's made of physical energy, we have a problem. And, Moniz, you could, you could certainly confirm this, is that, you know, when our sun goes supernova, all organized patterns within all the matter and energy content of our Earth will be scattered. It will be destroyed and turned chaotic. All we will have is elementary patterns of basic waves and basic particles. We wouldn't have the kind of highly complex and organized information that would be identified as an individual intelligence. Yeah, when the sun goes supernova, our planet is going to be reduced basically to subatomic particles. Yeah, we're going to have basically a mini region of cosmic soup like began, like existed at the Big Bang at the beginning of the universe. So no exist, no coherent pattern or order is going to be able to main, be maintained in that environment. So if you believe that spirits are, are stored as energy, then you also believe that all earthly spirits will cease to exist when the sun goes supernova. Hmm. Well, so was... if you believe that spirits persist forever, our spirits are eternal, then you need to lose the idea that spirits comprise energy. They can only be one or the other. I want to go back, Tom, to, to something that you said just a few minutes ago. I want to get back a little bit more into the idea of the measurement of these spirits and the difference between what, we're, what we might think of as spirit energy and, and the way that you're describing it under your model. Would it be fair to say that uh, essentially what we're measuring is not the energy of the spirit, which is what we think we are, but we're almost measuring the downloading of that information? It's almost like we're measuring uh, the buffering rate for that information to download and, and come into our view? Yeah, we're, we're, we're essentially observing the effect of materializing information within a bending of space-time, interacting with the surrounding physical content. So, like I said, this would excite electrons, it would create an electromagnetic field, literally out of thin air. And one of the other things that would happen is what I say in the, the world of the electron, what goes up must come down. These electrons will expend that energy, uh, that, that excitation, uh, fall back down into their lower orbits, 
And when they do that, they can emit a few things. A photon? Yeah, one of the things that they can emit is photons. And so we have a technology today that we we exploit that that quantum physical feature all the time. Uh, We take electromagnetic field, pass it through a material, excite the electrons, the electrons drop back down, emit photons. That's basically what a light-emitting diode does. So we would essentially be seeing this manifestation is is the projection of the light from that reaction happening. Well, yeah, it's a reaction of from energy going from one state back to another. And the course of going through that, the photon is emitted. And yeah, or we could look at it in terms of it moving from one quanta to the other or one valence. So we've explained we've explained EMF fluctuation, we've explained the uh, luminescence of of the spirit, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming too that these uh, reactions would account for the temperature fluctuations as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I did want to add one thing, and I usually say this uh, in an interview because it gets people's attention. Here we're talking about a spherical uh, bubble of space time. It is a perfect sphere because it has yet to have any materializing information in it. We just have a sphere jacketed in an electromagnetic field and emitting photons. This is a scientific model of what people call a luminous orb. Hmm. It would explain exactly what it does and how it behaves. Are you listening to that, Dave Francis? (laughs) That means you can't throw out every orb then. (laughs) And that's stuff I've said for years. When you real... Paranormal, quote-unquote, orbs are self-luminous. They generate their own light. They're not the refractive light of dust particles and water floating around in Mm -hmm. the air. Absolutely. Um, Now, here's here's another aspect that we would have. You mentioned the cold spots. Again, we have to differentiate an expanding bubble of space-time that would happen in the vacuum of the cosmos and locally with physical content like air. If one of these bubbles expanded like this, we would have within the core of that bubble a temporary vacuum. It would be a temporary void of material, like the air molecules, uh, the air atoms, and the heat energy, which is contained within that air. So if it happened very slowly, the laws of equilibrium would allow a, a flow in from the outside to be able to fill in the vacuum, so to speak, and we would have an equilibrium. We would see very little fluctuation. An endothermic reaction. Exactly. But if it happened quickly... Exothermic. Oh, there you go. (laughs) But if it happened quickly, like if you walked up to your, you know, if you woke up one morning on a winter's day and threw up with your front door, you would have a difference in pressure. You would detect a barometric pressure difference. You would detect a thermal difference. You would actually have a cold spot. Now, another thing that could happen if it opened up quick enough is that if we're moving, I talked about this earlier, if we have an area of low pressure with an adjacent area of high pressure, the air molecules are going to move from the high pressure area to the low pressure area. And we would also experience one of these mystery breezes where they feel a quick breeze go by where there's no doors and windows open. Hmm. Well, I do want to throw the phone lines open if anybody has any questions for our guest, Thomas Fusco. Uh, And again, just to remind everybody, his book is Behind the Cosmic Veil, 
uh, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual and the Supernatural. And uh, his website is CosmicVeil.com, CosmicVeil.com. Uh, the numbers, if you want to call in and ask a question or share a comment, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or jump in the chat room at SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And Kate, you live in a haunted house, probably one of the most haunted houses around. And So I don't know how this makes you feel now going home. You're going to be racking your brain trying to apply all the... Uh, the scientific things that we're talking about here tonight to what goes on in your home. I already am. <laughs> so see, Tom, we, we, we bring in firsthand experience with us uh, <laughs> to the show. That's a good thing. Uh, people are surprised to learn that, number one, I am not a paranormal investigator. And number two, I have never witnessed any of this stuff. Would you uh, like to? Because uh, Kate can invite you over her house. <laughs> come on over. <laughs> Some, sometimes... Uh, part of me is envious of that experience, and part of me is glad that I don't have that experience uh, because it does allow me, in a sense, to kind of take a, uh, an, a, a neutral observation, like a, an objective outsider looking in, so to speak. Um, but you could tell by the way I talk about this is that I, I certainly affect or accept the validity of all these type of phenomena. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question that these things are legitimate and real, and they do occur. Um, oh, uh, uh, another aspect I wanted to mention real quick, and, and any time we have this kind of an emerging electromagnetic field, uh, we're also going to have heat energy associated with it. And so this is why we see something else very strange at uh, paranormal sites, um, where what we would have is the outside of this bubble generating a heat signature. Because when the electrons fall back down their lower valences, one of the things they can also admit is heat, uh, thermal energy. So here we have a jacket of, of, a, of a heat signature around it, but inside of the bubble we have a cold spot. And that's why we experience and measure both things simultaneously at the same locations, because one's occurring at the outer surface and one's occurring inside of it. Hmm. Well, we, we spent uh, a great deal of the program talking about ghosts in particular, Tom, but uh, one of the things I want to ask you about, and you write about it in the book, uh, is the idea of UFOs, because that's another thing that's really uh, Moniz's bread and butter in terms of his research. And, and uh, it's also something that you know a lot of people say, hey, I'm willing to accept that people are having these sightings, I'm willing to expect, uh, accept that they're having these interactions and even to the point of abductions, but uh, so many people can't wrap their mind around whether or not UFOs could actually be spaceships from another planet. Well, yes, and uh, what I ask people to do just as a starting point is play the forensist. Imagine we're forensists. We're not the criminology unit. We don't. We're not concerned about the criminology. We're leaving that up to another team altogether. We're focusing on the physics of it. So if we're doing that, then in the paranormal hauntings, we're going to dismiss temporarily any idea of ghosts or spirits out of our mind. And the UFO arena, we're going to dismiss the idea of aliens out of our minds. Not okay. that they don't exist, but we're not going to consider them. 
We're just going to look at the physical observations and the phenomena themselves. And when we do so, what we find out is that UFOs, what we observe them doing, share a lot of things in common with paranormal hauntings. Uh, we see them appear and disappear, or if you, you want to say materializing or dematerializing. We see these observations move in incredible speeds and in incredible ways without any visible or detective means of propulsion, exactly like we see in poltergeist phenomena. The exact same kind of thing. We actually see these things change shapes. And we see that also in paranormal observations, where things kind of fade in and out, where they may be shapeless and then they take on a form and then they become a little bit more ambiguous or vaporous. We see all these things occur. Now, if we go back to the premise that the universe is put together one way, that it consists of a single set of principles and laws which can describe every subset within it, that means, even though we don't fully understand all those laws and principles, that they apply to the paranormal and they apply to the UFO. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to physically observe them. They must be consistent with those laws and principles. My argument is this. If we are able to identify the exact science of the paranormal, so much so that we can build technology based on those principles, we will be able to build devices or craft that do every single thing that we see UFOs do. Hmm. So we would essentially be able to experience the same thing, and then that might make it a little bit more understandable for people that can't figure out how they can do this. But you did say we have to remove the aliens from, from, that, uh, from this argument. Temporarily. So now I want to bring them back into it a little bit. Okay. And and say then how do we account for people's uh, abduction phenomena and, and, and close encounters? Well, abduction phenomena is difficult for me to comment on uh, simply because it is not something that I can observe. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and in other words, without invalidating it, because I don't invalidate it, I consider it a possibility. But it's difficult for me to ascertain uh, anything definite about it. The only time I was ever able to ascertain anything with, with any kind of uh, um, definitiveness uh, was on a, a recent show where we had a call-in who was an abductee. And he explained to me what it was like, what he experienced, during the transition between him sitting in his uh, <clears throat> bedroom in front of his computer and then him laying on this table inside of this UFO and what various parts of the UFO look like. And I'll tell you what, guys, it kind of stood my hair on end for the first time because the process, what he was explaining, what he saw, was exactly what my model would predict about what a teleportation would be like. Which is what? Well, it would be a <clears throat> it would be a dematerialization process. While the information is still stored superphysically, 
and then rematerialized at a different location that is not quite fully physical. Mm-hmm. So where some people talk about where certain aspects of being inside the UFO, they look at certain things and it looks really concrete and hard, and they look at other aspects of it and it looks kind of fuzzy or hazy uh, or transparent without realizing that they're describing the very same kinds of, of appearance that a lot of uh, apparitions look like. True. And so this would kind of be what a craft that was kind of existing on the border between partially materialized and fully materialized would look like. So if this transformation from sitting in your chair to lying on the ship is, how, how should I put, well, I'll, if it really is just that type of transportation transformation of the information, of the teleportation, I guess is how we would perceive it. Then does that mean that we would be able to harness that and utilize it to our own advantage? Can we take the information that's around us and, and transport ourselves to another location uh, just by bringing about the information of that location? Spooky yeah. action at a distance. That's oh, there you go. Say. You got it. You got it. We, we just had an article talking about, uh, you know, uh, a new achievement that they, uh, they were able to achieve quantum teleport uh, at 97 kilometers or something like that. Yeah, th- there were two, um, between two islands. Uh-huh. Uh, they transported, it was uh, done with lasers, if I'm not mistaken, Timing, timing. Uh, they used a, a a set of lasers to confirm what they were doing with two separate atoms that were be able to be affected roughly about ninety kilometers apart. Yeah, yep, and they were entangled. Yep. So, Quantum and, and 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 people have to realize what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a Star Trek type teleportation of what these physicists did. They were talking about the instant transference of information about the state of a particular quantum particle from one location to the other instantaneously with no conductor of that information in between the two locations. So really what we're looking at, when they saw that instantaneous change 90 kilometers away, we're actually looking at the materialization, the rematerialization from outside of space-time, because there's no physical conduit, of information that originated 90 kilometers away. Uh, so according to my model, if let's think about, go back to the paranormal and look at this for a minute. We we're talking about the information. So, with, Tom, yes. I, I was going to say, would you call it a quantum resonance? You could call it that. But what I would say is not so much that, because, again, resonance has to do with what's physical. Or harmonic? That's also a physical, because it's a wave. Well, we're watching physical actions. That's why I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. I think How the information gets transferred, well, that's still mm-hmm. <laughs> what we're trying to get on here, right? Right. In other words, this is actually a dematerialization and a rematerialization of information that exists outside of space-time. Now, could it be transported to a specific location? Theoretically, yes, because if we're going to follow Einstein's model 
of a continuous spatial field that is defined by four independent variables, height, width, depth, and time. That means that every coordinate in the universe, every physical coordinate in the universe, has its own unique frequency resonance. That means if we can identify the frequency resonance of a particular quadrant of space-time, a particular location, or have something like a Star Trek transportation pad that establishes a frequency resonance to that space that can be locked on, we could definitely transport matter from one location to the other by receding it. In other words, collapsing the bend of space around it until it dematerializes out of our physical plane and then rematerialize it in a new bubble of space-time at the correct frequency resonance location. This is my model of teleportation. Hmm. And this is what I see, because remember, we're talking about the photograph earlier, uh, containing a record of all the information that the original person was made of. The real living person was made of that. And then we're seeing an apparition that's materializing from the same information. That means that the information from which the original person was built and the apparition and the photograph are all coming from the same source. And it's not physical. It's not stored locally. No. Again, uh, we have uh, just a few minutes remaining in the program, so it's last chance if anybody has any questions, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We have probably about seven, less than seven minutes remaining in the program, so we want to remind everybody that if you want to get the book, just go to CosmicVeil.com, CosmicVeil.com, to purchase Thomas Fusco's book, Behind the Cosmic Veil. A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural. And we've still, even though uh, you know this is your second appearance with us, Tom, we've still really only scratched the surface of all that this book encompasses. And uh, people should definitely pick it up and, and dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, we haven't even gotten the EVPs yet, have we? <laughs> well, now we've only got a few minutes left, uh, but let, let's, let's bring up the idea of EVPs. Well, uh, what we didn't talk too much about was, the, was what the materialization of information inside these bubbles of space-time would look like. We were only talking about secondary, what I call secondary paranormal effects, mm-hmm. which would be the result of the emerging of this environment, of this bubble of space-time. If we were to inject information into it and see that information begin to materialize, that bubble would begin to take on the exact shape dictated by the materialization of the information. So, for example, if we see an apparition of a 19th century Victorian lady, that bubble has now taken the exact geometric shape of that information so that it has every little fold of the dress and the features of her face. It's no longer a sphere. It looks like a a shell around her. Uh, Now, if we had a vocalization materialize, information of a vocalization, what would happen is that the surface of that space-time bubble would begin to vibrate with the frequency and the amplitude of the oscillation of that vocalization. And what we would have is two different things based on the wavelength or the frequency. We would have, uh, number one, an acoustical compression, where the actual fabric of the edge of that bubble is vibrating the air. 
And so we would suddenly hear a disembodied voice come out of midair because the actual face of space is acting like a speaker that's vibrating like the speaker paper. At a lower wavelength, we wouldn't get an acoustical effect. But remember, the bubble is jacketed by an electromagnetic field. So we would have a vibration there where the electromagnetic field would create an electromagnetic compression wave. Which would be picked up on a, in the electrics of a uh, microphone. Exactly. It would induce itself directly on the copper coils yep. that are connected to the acoustic diaphragm, Correct. bypassing the diaphragm, bypassing the need for the diaphragm to move the coil through a magnet to create a compression wave because the wave is already induced. It's already in electron form. That's right. You got it. So the electronics translates it. And we get an EVP, a materialized voice, where no one heard it acoustically standing right next to it. <laughs> I understood. <him>. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, I understand exactly what he's saying, and and I'm just scratching my head that uh, you know there's, it doesn't have the logic holes that our regular normal explanation for EVPs would have. We are. We. I've been told, and I, and I know it. I, I because I've worked a lot of years on it. This is the first scientific model that addresses every single one of these effects. Feelings of heaviness? Of course. Space is being bent. It creates its own gravitational field. People are going to experience a feeling of heaviness. One after the other after the other. This model explains every single phenomenon in a simple and consistent way. Well, I have to say, when I first... When I first found out about this book, and I, I think it was through an email that, that you had sent out uh, before we had you on the first time, and I read, here's a guy who has a new theory of the paranormal and it's going to change the way we think, I was like, yeah, sure. Because we've heard this uh, quite a bit here in our, our six-plus years of doing this program. But I have to say, the more that I read it, the more that I hear about it, the more that I think it starts to make sense. And I, I think that if we can get enough people in the field to start wrapping their head around it, it'll, it'll definitely change the direction of where we can take uh, what we call the paranormal field. Absolutely. And it, it spreads beyond that. You know, sure. if matter, if, if matter and energy content of the universe is an expression or a result of a materialization of information uh, within the bending of space, it's almost like a reverse model of the conventional model. This would explain perfectly why we can't find a gravitational boson, or what it is a graviton, we call graviton, it. Yeah. It would explain perfectly why the standard model does not have an expression for gravity. It doesn't need it. It would explain why we see fields, regions of space, where we see the bending of space with no adjacent physical causal matter where people have come up with this hypothetical model of this substance they call dark matter, this would eliminate the need for dark matter. It would eliminate the need for supersymmetry. It would eliminate the need for graviton. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tom, again, and for delving deeper into this. And uh, I look forward to discussing things with you more in the future. It sounds great. Uh, Just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to come back whenever you're ready. All right. Thanks so much. Again, that is Thomas Fusco. His book is called Beyond the Cosmic Veil. You can get it from his website, CosmicVeilVeil.com. We are just about out of time for this week's show. Next week, we're going to be back uh, on the air. I think we're on, I think the Red Sox are playing the Yankees, so we're going to be on 
at our regular time. And uh, we are actually going to have joining us on the air next week the writers of the movie The Possession that's coming up. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that next week. Until then, stay spooktacular.